And those are just a few of the many great events happening at Fellowship of the Rockies. Remember that you can stay connected to us by filling out the Connect card in your bulletin, liking our Facebook page, following us on Twitter at 4Pueblo, and for more information or to register for any of these events, visit the special events page at fellowshipoftherockies.org. We'll see you next time. Good morning. Thank you for being here this, this morning. I've got my voice back, so I'm pretty excited about that. And hopefully it'll make it all the way through this weekend. So we just want to welcome you here, whether you're in this room or worshiping with us over there in the theater. Um, this is great spring we weather, huh? Uh, that's, what I that's why I moved to Colorado for days like this. So uh, I love the snow and just love Colorado weather. Well, if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can turn with me. Uh, to Acts, Acts chapter 2, Romans chapter 6 is we're going to be today. We've been in this series called uh, Locally Owned and Operated. We've been looking at this issue of the local church, and, and we got, just got to make sure as a church that our perspective of church lines up with God's perspective, that our view of church lines up with God's view. Whenever our view and God's view lines up as a local body with, uh, of the local church, then, then some powerful things can, can happen as a church and, and as a body. Today I want to talk to you about a subject that, is, um, that is, is not only personal to me, but I think it's just very, very important for us to understand as a church, and that is this issue of, of baptism. And what is the meaning of baptism? What is the method of baptism? What is the message of baptism to where we look at this issue of, of, of what is baptism? Now listen, I know over the course of four services and, and the number of people that attend here in the different spiritual backgrounds, I know that some of you may have been sprinkled as a child or a or as an infant or as an, as an adult, uh, you, you may have never been baptized. You may never even uh, considered whether you should get baptized, biblically baptized, anything like that. Uh, the fact is, you may have never heard a sermon on baptism and, and what it means and what it looks like. And so here's, here's what I'm going to ask you this morning, is that we could get church tradition out of the way. And we could just investigate what the scriptures have to say about this issue of baptism, because I think it's so important. I think it's so critical uh, to the Christian life. And that we could get church tradition and all these other things out of the way. We could look at just what Scripture teaches alone. Fact is, as pastors, we probably get more questions about this issue of baptism than, than maybe some of the other questions that we get. As far as why do you baptize the way you do? What is, what is the meaning of baptism? Uh, why is it by immersion? Why is it of all of these other things? And so today I want to talk to you about an outward baptism. See, there's what Scripture teaches, there's, there's two baptisms. There's the, the inward baptism and there's the outward baptism. There's the, there's the inward baptism that when you make a profession of faith, when you accept Christ, that the Holy Spirit, Jesus, comes into your life, forgives you of your sin, and there's an inward baptism. But there's, not only is there an inward baptism, there's an, there's an outward baptism. Uh, there's an outward baptism that uh, where you profess your faith or where you uh, declare him and that you're a Christ follower. And so you need to know uh, what, what our church believes about this issue of baptism because I think it's critical. And that when our view of, of church and God's view of church lines up, then powerful things happen. So, so this weekend, we're just going to look at three questions that, that I've had uh, tons of conversations with people as, just privately as we've walked through this. And the first question that we have to ask and answer is this, is, well, then what is the message of baptism? I mean, what, what, is, what is baptism? What is, what, is this, what is this trying to communicate? And what is the, what is the message? Now, now, listen, in Scripture, there's a, there's a principle of the first, that whenever something shows up in Scripture for the very first time, 
that is critical for us to understand, uh, that is critical for us to understand what is going on here, that happens in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, Simon Peter uh, preaches his first sermon, and, uh, and it's a five-point sermon. And so let me, let me give you the points, and then we'll, look, we'll see how he ends it. Acts chapter 2, his first point was this, that Jesus was a historic person. That, that Jesus was a historic person. The second thing is this, that Jesus uh, lived a sinless life. He was crucified. He rose from the dead on our behalf. Uh, the third principle was this, uh, the Messiah was, was prophetic in the Old Testament. In other words, it, it, it talked about Jesus. It talked about the coming Messiah that would die for our sins. Uh, the, the fourth principle was Jesus was, was our Savior. He was, he was a Savior. And the fifth principle was this, that the gospel is open to all. Jews and Gentiles, the gospel is open to all. And then after he preached those, four, or those five points, in conclusion, he writes this, or he says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is promised to you and to your children, even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a, for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said, watch this, were baptized, so there was a decision that was made. So those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day 3,000 in all. So let me ask you this, just first thing is this, have you accepted that message? Have you come to the place to where you accepted the gospel? That Jesus Christ, he who knew no sin, became sin for you. That lived a sinless life, lived a perfect life, and went to the cross on your behalf. To where you came to the point and you accepted that message. And you asked him to come into your life to forgive you of your sins. There's repentance involved. And give you the gift of eternal life. Because what you find in scripture is this. When people accepted that message, the next thing that happened was baptized. Uh, was baptism. Fact is, all the way through the scriptures, all the way through the New Testament, you can find that they believed and were baptized. They believed and they were baptized. They believed and they're baptized. So, so here's, here's the fork in the road, and, and here's where a, a lot of the conversations generally happen. Baptism, believers or babies? That's really where it's at, because that's really where the conversations kind of break down and the conversations get emotional. This issue of baptism, is, is that for believers or is that for babies? Now listen, to accept a message, to be able to respond to a message like Acts, you have to, you have to be able to understand some things, right? In other words, it's a cognitive response to where to be able to accept something, you have to understand some things. You have to make a cognitive response. Now listen, I know in scriptures people will make a, a theological leap and say, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. There's places in scriptures where whole households, the entire household was baptized. Uh, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We see evidence after evidence, right, that, that whole houses, the entire household was believed and was baptized. Well, here at Fellowship of the Rockies, we baptized entire households also. But everybody in the household was old enough to come to the point where they could understand right from wrong. They had a conscience. They, had a, they could make a cognitive decision to follow Christ because what Scripture says, someone first believed and they were baptized. 
some people will make a th theological leap and says, well, if they were baptized in entire households, then there must have been babies involved. Can I just tell you this? You can never in the New Testament find any evidence, clear evidence, that infants were baptized. Fact is, the history of baptism, Acts chapter 2, all the way through the book of Acts, you find that, that only people that can make a cognitive response, that people made a decision, they first believed, someone didn't believe for them, some didn't, someone didn't make that decision for them, they believed and they were baptized. Fact is, for the first 200 years of the early church, from the apostolic age after the death of Jesus Christ, all you find is baptism by immersion. All you find is people, adults, or, or people that were at that age, teenagers, whatever, when, they, when someone came to the point, they could understand right from wrong, and they could make that decision on their own. Fact is, I've taken a group uh, to Israel, and, and uh, we saw, I mean, we saw some of the earliest churches that, that have, have been discovered. And do you realize every one of those early churches had a baptistry, and it was deep, and it was deep enough to baptize someone by immersion. So when you just study church history and you realize about this issue about baptism, uh, for the first 200 years of the early church after the death of Christ, then you find that, that they were baptized in the method. Uh, they were baptized by, by immersion. And then it wasn't until 200 A.D. to 300 A.D. to where all of a sudden you start seeing this infusion or pouring or are sprinkling and, uh, as, as a method, and we'll talk about that. So, so the first thing is this. we got to understand the message. we got to understand what baptism is trying to communicate. The second thing is this. Uh, what is the meaning? I mean, what, is it, what does it mean? Not in, not in church tradition. Not in, not, but what, what does Scripture says about this issue of meaning? See, Scripture would say this, that baptism is, is symbolic. It's not sacramental. It's not something that you do as a requirement for salvation. We'll understand a little bit why they tied baptism or the church, tied baptism to salvation. It was because of one letter from Augustine because he, just, he, he had this concern. But, but so we, we realize that when you look at Scripture, that baptism is just symbolic. It is symbolic that I've made a decision, that I've accepted the gospel, that I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ, and I'm doing the first thing. Listen, do you realize once you become the Christian, the first thing that he asks you to do is follow him in baptism. That's why all the way through the book of Acts, you find they believed and they were baptized. And fact is, in the book of Acts, when someone believed, they got baptized like immediate. They didn't wait. And so this is symbolic. When we get baptized, it is symbolic. Fact is, it's our first testimony. It's our profession of faith. Uh, we, it's, in, it's when we acknowledge him among men. God said, or Jesus says, that if you'll acknowledge me among men, guess what? I'll acknowledge you to my father so it's 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 communicating see that, that, that we're a believer and all through scripture there's symbols right i mean god gave uh, a rainbow as a symbol that he would that he would never destroy the earth again in a flood uh god gave us god gave us communion as a symbol that when we gather as a church and we take of the bread and we take of the juice and and we take of communion that it is a symbol that that jesus christ died for the forgiveness of my sins and and and, and rose again and, and, I mean, it's a time in which we remember back to when we were baptized. It was remember when we, when we uh, met him. In other words, this issue of baptism is a visible expression of your faith. See, in the New Testament, whenever someone accepted, whenever someone was baptized, it was because they had, 
accepted Christ and they'd, they'd made a commitment. And, and Jesus gave us baptism so that we could express our faith. It's, it's only reserved for believers. And there's a lot of times in Scripture, and we go through, there are just tons of them, that when Jesus would heal someone, that he would give them something to do as a symbol. He would give them, he would ask them, like, like go and wash in the, the pool of Siloam. Stretch out your hat. Go show yourself to the priest. Go show yourself to the church. I mean, they did something to express their faith. See, baptism communicates obedience and humility and trust. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 is where Paul begins writing to help us understand that this issue of baptism is just, it's symbolic. It's symbolic of what has already taken place inwardly. And so he says, verse 1, he says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how, we, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried by Christ, uh, with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So, so baptism is this. Baptism is symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is symbolic of being raised from death to life, that you were once dead in your sin, and now you're alive. It's symbolic of the tomb and being the death of Jesus Christ, and then coming up, the resurrection of Christ, and then the new life. fact is, when we were in Israel, their baptistries were much different than ours, of course. And uh, they either baptized in a river. Uh, we baptized a group of people in the Jordan River exactly or pretty close to where Jesus was probably baptized. And then many of the local churches, when you look at their baptistries, they, you actually walk down into them, and there, were, there was one way in and one way out. And the reason they did that is they wanted to communicate that when you meet Christ, you're never the same again. You're totally and completely changed, and it was totally symbolic uh, that Jesus Christ went, went to the cross on our behalf. And he died, and he was in a tomb for three days, and he was resurrected, and now I'm resurrected with him. Matthew 16, 16 says, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Now listen, the condemnation is on not believing. In Simon Peter, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38 Peter replied, each one of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized. See, you, you, you see this pattern. Repent, turn from your sins, be baptized. Believe, baptize. All the way through Scripture, you see first there's a belief, then there's baptism. It's a cognitive response. And so he says, and, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So in the Greek, and this is so important for the construction of this, in the Greek, the word repent and forgiveness are plural. The word baptism is singular, which means this, that repentance and forgiveness are tied together. That first you repent, you find forgiveness, you're a Christian, there's an inward change, an inward baptism, and this issue of baptism stands along, and it's, it's symbolic. And it's symbolic of what has taken place, that everybody come, can come to Christ and make a decision and once you make that decision, you follow him in baptism. And so some of the questions would be, okay, so this, this baptism deal, is it salvation or symbolic? Listen, the only way it ever was sacramental 
The only way that it was ever salvation was, was Augustine wrote this letter. And he wrote this letter and he was concerned what would happen to an infant, a baby, that if they die before they meet Christ, where would they go? And the church freaked out over this. And they didn't understand the, the doctrine of age of accountability, that until you can determine right from wrong, God will not hold you accountable for those sins. Uh, we have tons of evidence in the Old Testament and the New Testament that when an infant died, that, that they didn't go to hell, they went actually to heaven. And so Augustine writes this letter, so the church says, you know what we need to do? We've got to do infant baptism because we've got to tie it to salvation because if a baby is born and a baby dies at a very early age, then we're worried they'll either, they'll either go, to, go to hell or they'll be kind of stuck in limbo. And so they are worried about this doctrine of, of original sin. But I'm telling you, Scripture says only the blood of Jesus Christ saves. Only the blood of Jesus Christ removes sin. Uh, the water in a baptistry doesn't remove sin. It's symbolic. It's not tied to salvation. It is obedience, and there's a spiritual thing. And I mean, we have testimony after testimony. There is a spiritual thing that happens in that baptistry when people just humble themselves and do what Scripture calls for. See, infant baptism was more for the parent than the infant. The infant didn't know what was going on. The fact is, a lot of times it just aggravated them. The infant didn't know what was going on. It's only the blood of Christ that removes sin. That he became sin on our behalf. Ephesians 2.8 about salvation says God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done. So none of us can boast. So in other words, it's just Jesus. The last question that we have to deal with this morning is this. Well then, okay, so, I mean, you talked a little bit about the method of baptism. But what is the method of baptism? See, one of the first times, and listen, I've, I've, I've written tons of papers of the, on this in, in seminary, and one of the first times sprinkling was done was when it was about 300 A.D., and uh, this man was on his deathbed, He's, he was physically ill, he meets Christ, and he wanted to be baptized uh, by immersion, but physically he couldn't. So as a result of that, the church decided, you know what, we'll sprinkle. We'll sprinkle because physically he, he cannot be baptized by immersion, uh, we'll sprinkle him. So they sprinkled him on his deathbed. This man turns around, and uh, he doesn't die. So now the church had this, this, this quandary. They had this problem. Are we going to allow sprinkling or, or not? And then it seems like after 300 A.D., that all of a sudden they begin allowing sometimes sprinkling, and then gradually the Rome, Roman Catholic Church began sprinkling. And then centuries later, in 1311 A.D., a council met, a Catholic council met, to discuss these spiritual issues. Because up until this time, up until about 300 A.D., they baptized by immersion. They changed. And so here's what a historian, church historian, Leslie Thomas, writes about that council. He said, up until this time, the general rule of the Catholic church had been immersion, uh, of the church had been immersion, except as a rule of clinic baptism, which was sprinkling or pouring water who is physically unable to be immersed. But 1311 A.D., by the authority of the Roman Catholic Council, which met in I Italy, sprinkling and pouring became legal baptisms within the eyes of the Catholic Church. And when the Catholic Church made that change and they moved away from immersion and says, okay, we'll sprinkle, churches began to follow them. 
most Bible-believing churches still baptized by immersion because they look only what, what, what Scripture teaches and not tradition of, of man. And the reason is, is because when you, when you walk through Scripture, you realize it's just so clear that when people were baptized after they were old enough to make a decision, after they were able to believe, and then follow. Now listen, the word baptize, well, the transliterated word in the Greek for baptize is baptizo. And so you can look at the Greek definition of that word, and baptizo means this, to dip, to plunge under. Um, and so that's the definition of the word that is used. Now another way to help us understand Greek words and Greek definitions is not to look at classical Greek, but to look at common Greek of their day. How was that word baptizo used in their day? So you can go and look at the writings of Josephus, who was a historian of their day. And in many of Josephus' writings, every time he uses the word baptizo, it's to, masur, to, 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 to plunge under, uh, to submerge. The uh, fact is, there's writings that, that, that Josephus, uh, uh, the historian, was writing about a sunken vessel, and he used the word baptizo to, to communicate that the vessel was totally and completely underwater. The philosopher uh, Plato, he would use that word baptizo to say he would take his bread and baptizo it in wine to, to, to plunge it under. I, uh, I baptizo my chicken fried steak in gravy, okay? <laughs> I baptizo my, my biscuits in gravy. You may baptizo your enchiladas in green chili or your hamburgers in green chili. You don't sprinkle it, right? Man, you get it all over it to where you can no longer see the chili. I mean, you can no longer see the hamburger. You can no longer see the enchiladas. You can no longer see the chicken fried steak because you just totally submerge. That's what this word, in fact, is a blacksmith of their day would use this word baptizo to communicate that, that when, when they, they take and, and, and mold hot steel and they get it and they, to where they want it and they want to temper it, that they baptizo, they plunge it completely underwater. Uh, Plutarch, the writer of their day, would use this word baptizo to communicate that someone was completely submerged in financial debt. And so when you look at this word, you find that this word, the Greek definition, it, it's not sprinkle. It is not poor. Fact is, there's specific Greek words for sprinkle and for poor, and there's a specific Greek word for totally immerse. But listen, you don't need to know Greek to understand this. You just need to know English. And if you take your English Bibles and just read your English Bibles, it says this. It says Jesus, when his, he was baptized, you know his method of baptism? Immersion, as an adult. And, and, and it says that Jesus came up out of water. Telling you, that should end the discussion right there. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Scripture says this, that we're to be Christ-like. He is our example. We're to be like him. So if we want to be like him, why would we not be baptized like him? Ethiopian eunuch, it says, after Philip led him to the Lord, and he, he says, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip says, nothing. And he baptized him and said again, he went up out of water. Romans chapter 6 verse 3 says, Or have you forgotten that when we were joined together with Christ Jesus in baptism, we were joined in his death, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ raised it from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And so the reason that we use immersion here 
is because it was a method that Jesus used. It was a method that you find all the way through the New Testament in the apostolic age. And can I just tell you this? It would be easier if we just sprinkled. <laughs> really, I mean, it'd be less hassle. Fact is, when we bought this movie theater, uh, there is no plumbing in the back of, of this theater because, uh, because all the plumbing was at the front where all the restrooms are. And when we tried to get this, when we, when we renovated this and we tried to get the baptistry approved with the city, that was, a, that was a big, that was almost a deal breaker with renovating this building. Because they were wanting to know, what do you do with the water? Uh, how do you drain it? How do you get rid of it? And it, it, it took negotiation after negotiation. Uh, we, finally, we finally reached an agreement. And, and so it'd be less maintenance for us. It'd be less cost. It'd actually be easier just to sprinkle. And the reason that we practice immersion here is we believe it's, it's a biblical command. It's a biblical command of Jesus. See, this, this, this deal with infant baptism is the church came to believe something in original sin. And the, the thought was this, that, that when you're born, that you have original sin. In other words, you have Adam's sin on you. And you're already guilty of sin just by being born. And so if you die before you've been baptized, then you either go, they're kind of confused about this, you either go to limbo or you go to hell. And so their thinking was, well, we better baptize these kids. We better sprinkle them as soon as possible because we don't want them to go to hell. And so, but I tell you, when, when you press those churches in on this thought, can I just tell you this? They will tell you, this isn't, this isn't out of Scripture. This is out of church tradition. And see, every one of us has to decide, what is our tradition? Or, or, or how do we interpret Scripture? Or is it, is it solely Scripture? Or is it tradition of man, then Scripture? Here, here's some quotations just from some quotes from some founders of many of the popular denominations. How about this? Martin Luther, founder of Lutheran Church. I would have those who are to be baptized to be entirely immersed as the word imports in the mystery signifies. Congregational scholar H.T. Andrews, there is no shred of real proof that baptism was ever administered to infants in the apostolic age. John Calvin, Presbyterian, the word baptized signifies to immerse. It is certain that immersion was the practice of the ancient church. John Wesley, founder of Methodist, Buried with him alludes to baptizing by immersion according to the, con, uh, to the custom of the first church. J.R. Uh, Nelson, a, a Methodist scholar. The New Testament says nothing about baptism of, of little children. And see, this thought came from one writing of Augustine. See, we believe that the Bible teaches clearly that we are born with a, a sin nature, a propensity to sin. But not sin on us. How? How can a baby or a toddler be guilty of sinning when they don't know right from wrong? When they don't have a conscience? Now, let me tell you something. If, if you were baptized as a child, my wife was. My, uh, my wife was, was baptized as, a, as an infant. And if, if, you were, if you were baptized as a child... You can be thankful that you had parents that cared for you and cared for your spiritual upbringing. This is just fulfillment of what they've started. And so you should be, you should be thankful 
that you had parents to the very best of their ability. They, they cared for your, your spiritual nourishment and your spiritual background. But if you were baptized for the wrong reasons or wrong motives and you didn't understand it or you have, or you have doubts about your baptism, don't you, don't you think it's important enough to settle? Because the scripture says it always came after someone met Christ. Matthew 28, the scripture says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. So what comes first? Disciples. What comes first? Belief. Now, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the best question, maybe the fourth question, would be not, do I have to get baptized? Seriously? But maybe the best question would be this, what is God asking me to do? What are the scriptures asking me to do? Because I think it's a, it's a huge matter of Christian obedience and after being a pastor for a number of years, I think people back away from this for, or for maybe one of three reasons. And one is they've never really been taught what the Bible teaches. They've been taught the tradition of the church, tradition of man. They've never really, they may have never heard a sermon, just walking them through Scripture, what the Bible teaches. The second thing is this. There's a, th this issue is more emotional than theological. A lot of people that say, you know, I'd love to get baptized, but I'm going to make some family members mad. And, and I get that. My wife, Karen, was, was, was raised Catholic, and, and she was baptized. And when she moved to Texas, uh, she met Christ, and, and she was baptized in our church. I was there. I actually got to see my wife get, get baptized, and we started dating a little bit after that. And and she was baptized, and I still remember when we were dating, her mom came to town for the very first time, and we'd gone to our church, and, and so we're sitting in church, it's me and Karen, and Karen's mom is sitting there, and we just happened to be doing baptisms that night. And so Karen's mom is watching this thing go, go down, and Karen's mom, I still remember it, she turns to Karen and says, did you do that? And Karen kind of hung her head and said, yes, ma'am. And her mom cried through the rest of the service. I mean, I mean, there's some people, this really isn't a theological issue. This is just an emotional issue. And they're worried what family members will say. They may be older. They may be adults. Listen, we, we've baptized people in their 90s. We've baptized people as, long, as young as five all the way to their 90s. And so they're worried what people will think. They're worried what people will say. Um deep down the reason that people don't follow through with this is because they just don't want to be obedient to the scriptures now don't don't let this don't let this be a barrier in your life and god wants to make it a benchmark in your life don't allow satan to make this a barrier in your life and some of you you need to quit warring with this and and thinking about this fact is really and truly this is something you don't even need to pray about when you become a Christian, when you became a Christian, the first thing that Jesus asked you to do is just follow me in believer's baptism. So we practice immersion here because Jesus set the example. Watch this, Matthew chapter 3, uh, verse 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him 
out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by, by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all the... We must carry out all that God requires. Baptism is part of that. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, watch this, you don't need to know Greek to know the method. As Jesus came up out of water, totally submerged. I've stood in the Jordan River. It is deep at that point. The heavens were open and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and setting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my... my my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. If baptism was important to Jesus, shouldn't it be important to us? Yes, it's symbolic. I'm telling you, something spiritual happened in the waters of a baptistry. It's a benchmark. There's some people who say, well, wait a minute, you don't understand. I don't like crowds. And it kind of makes me nervous about doing that in front of a lot of people. And I always ask them, well, tell me about your wedding. <laughs> Was it done in secret? Was it just you and a pastor in his office? Was it you and a judge and, 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 and your spouse? I mean, tell me how that, oh, no, it was a big deal. I mean, it, it was a big deal. It was public. Oh. So the issue isn't crowds. He said, if you'll acknowledge me in front of men, I'll acknowledge you in front of my Father in heaven. So maybe today, you should settle this once and for all. Next week, we're baptizing. Be a wonderful opportunity if you've met Christ, if you've made that decision, for you to say, you know what, I'm tired of dealing with this. I'm going to settle it from one and all. It's gonna, once and all, it's going to be a benchmark in my life. I'm going to do exactly what the scriptures command me to do and ask me to do. So in your bulletin is a connect card. Uh, you can take that out. You can, you can fill out the information. And then you can, on the back of it, just let us know which service that you'd like to get baptized in next week. Pastor Wayne will communicate with you. We'll talk with you. We'll answer your questions. But we would love to include you next week as we watch a lot of people just be obedient to him and follow him in believer's baptism. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me ask you this morning, just real quickly, what is God saying to you as a result of this message? Maybe, maybe the more important question is, is, how should you respond? What is your next step? Every one of us has a next step. So what is your next step? It may be to accept him. You may have never believed that message before. To you ask him just to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, and give you the gift of eternal life, of forgiveness. And maybe you just need to do that just sitting before him this morning. And then your next step would be believer's baptism. Just following him in believer's baptism. Professing him publicly. It's your first testimony. It's your first profession of faith. And maybe what he's asking you to do is just to be obedient to him. If you have never been baptized, if you have never been biblically baptized, then you just follow him in believer's baptism next week. And you'd settle it once and for all. Maybe this morning you, you have a burden, you have a, you have a prayer request. You say, you know what, I, I just need someone to pray for me. I, I need someone, I'd love just to talk to someone. Whether you're going through a, a financial issue, a medical issue, an issue, a relationship, maybe trying to discern God's will. Maybe you want to pray uh, for someone else. 
Maybe you want to talk to someone about this whole baptism deal. We'd love to talk to you about that. And maybe about following him. Whatever it is, you're carrying a burden and you need prayer. We want to pray for you. So in just a few minutes, after I pray, we stand. I'm just going to invite you. If you have a burden, if you'd like prayer, as you stand up, just real quickly, we won't be in this moment long, just step out, begin making your way down. We'll greet you down here. Father, we love you. And we thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. And Father, this morning we just ask that you pull this church very closely to you. And that, Father, people would respond to you. And they'd take their life and line it up with your word. Not by the traditions of a church and traditions of men, but just out of your scripture. May you be more important than anything else in this world.